Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. For today's episode, I noticed that we use the term biological male and biological female at times when we should have said people assigned male at birth or people assigned female at birth, which are more inclusive and correct terms to talk about the body. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we want to talk about estrogen and endometriosis and their relationship. Their relationship? Yeah, Brittany, their relationship. You mean like if they're in a healthy relationship or a toxic relationship or a codependent relationship? That kind of relationship? Exactly. Oh, dramatic. Does one of them love the other one more? Are they obsessed with each other? (gasps) Do they know how to set healthy boundaries? And today we're going to find out. I'm intrigued. I'm ready. Stay tuned for Desperate Endo Wives. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, ish, we want to go over estrogen's role in endometriosis. We want to dispel some myths around estrogen and endometriosis. You'll find all the resources that we consulted to make this episode in the show notes, which is on our website in 16years.com. And of course, as always, we encourage you to do your own research on endometriosis. We really strive to have accurate information in our podcast, but there's always a chance that we can misinterpret something. We are human. Well, I'm a cat, but... Okay, we are human. Or say something incorrectly... (laughs) Like saying you're a cat. (laughs) Because we are not experts in endometriosis. We are cat experts. Oh, God. We are cat experts. (laughs) She won't let it go. (laughs) I can't. I I tried something clever. It didn't work. Sorry, people. Move on. (laughs) All right. But the point is, if you catch an incorrect fact, apart from the fact that I'm a cat, don't call me out on that. (laughs) But if you catch that we have an incorrect fact in this episode or in any episode, please Honestly, reach out to us, email us, let us know, because we do want to correct any mistakes that we have. So don't be scared to reach out to us, because sharing accurate information is really our number one priority, apart from having fun and making you laugh. Okay, now we're going to present you with fact number one. Estrogen may cause endometriosis to become aggravated. 
By aggravated, I mean it might become irritated, it might become inflamed, it might cause pain, it might get upset and say it's not going to take out the garbage anymore. (laughs) It might get mad at you and then squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and not from the bottom. (laughs) It might not replace the roll of toilet paper when it finishes. That's the level of aggravation that we're talking about. All right, no, but in all seriousness, estrogen can drive inflammation and pain related to endometriosis. And the process of how this happens is very sciencey. Of course. <laughs> so we're not going to go into this into great detail today, but over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk super science about how endometriosis tissue acts, how it's different from the endometrium, and then how endometriosis causes pain. Ooh, we're all holding our breath for that episode. That is fascinating. It's also going to be like a five-part series because apparently there's a lot of ways it can cause pain. So can I breathe now? Breathe out, Brittany. Okay. Okay. You might have to hold your breath for like two months for that. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Okay, but a few highlights on estrogen and inflammation and pain. Just a quick highlights is that, for example... Estrogen can regulate things like neuroangiogenesis in the surrounding tissue. What on earth is that? (laughs) It sounds beautiful. Neuroangiogenesis. It does. It sounds like really nice. I'm going to name my next dog neuroangiogenesis. So that is the coordinated growth of blood vessels and nerves into the surrounding tissues. Nerves, they receive stimuli and tell the brain. Pain! Exactly. (laughs) So estrogen can you know, regulate neuroangiogenesis, this coordinated growth of blood vessels and pain, and oh, pain, and pain is on my mind, and nerves. <laughs> when is it not? Estrogen can stimulate the production of prostaglandins, Ooh. which can cause pain and inflammation. Estrogen can stimulate the production of other inflammatory substances like cytokines and growth factors. And then the role of estrogen receptors in endometriosis is also extremely important. And we're going to talk in great detail about that in a couple of weeks. But a couple quick highlights is that the estrogen receptor beta in endometriosis mediates the effect of estradiol. That's your most potent form of estrogen. So the estrogen receptor beta in endometriosis mediates the effects of estradiol in endometriosis and triggers pathways that can enhance lesion survival. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Not good. Ooh. It can remodel pelvic peritoneal tissue. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh Uh-oh. And it can produce inflammatory substances. Oh, well, of course. And these inflammatory substances can stimulate nerve endings in pelvic tissues, which, of course, can lead to pain. And then, as we know, inflammation is a central process in endometriosis, and that can lead to pain, remodeling of neighboring tissues, second time we've said that, Fibrosis, adhesion formation, and infertility. So no good things. (laughs) None of those things. So estrogen can stimulate and regulate and trigger all of those things. Not good. So I want to go back to the tissue remodeling. What do you mean by tissue remodeling? Does Endo say, hey, place the TV over there and the sofa on the left in that painting of me and my dog and Amy and her cat? Above the chair, can you imagine a portrait of Enda? (laughs) Just a giant, bloody blob. And if you want some comedic relief, there's a cat batting at it with its paw. (laughs) (laughs) 
aside from home remodeling with endo in mind, what is tissue remodeling? Honestly, I think you're pretty spot on. <laughs> so there is a portrait <laughs> of an endo with a cat batting it inside of my pelvic area. Is that, what, is that what's happening? <laughs> I think tissue remodeling in a medical sense would mean changes in the characteristics of the tissue. The fibrosis and the scar tissue and the inflammation that occurs in the surrounding tissue of the endometriosis. Actually, Brittany, do you want to just read a quote from that research article that we found? The article was called Endometriosis, and it was by Cedar Bullum and his colleagues. It was from August 2019 and published in Endocrine Reviews. So from the research article Endometriosis, quote, under the influence of estrogen, inflammation ensues and causes significant remodeling of the peritoneal and subperitoneal tissues, such as adipose tissue. One of the best studied pathways that mediates surrounding tissue remodeling involves high metalloproteinase activity in endometriotic implants. In fact, fibrosis of the surrounding tissue is a hallmark of peritoneal or ovarian endometriosis. Invasion and proliferation, however, are much less important to the pathology of endometriosis than they are to the pathology of malignant, like endometrial cancer, or benign, like uterine leomyoma, that's fibroids, neoplasms. Estrogen-driven inflammation seems to be the central process that shapes the pathology of endometriosis, end quote. Wow, that was really interesting. It's kind of like if you have a bunch of puppets and estrogen is like a puppeteer behind the stage, like pulling the strings of all the puppets. It's like, ooh, I'll pull the string of tissue remodeling. Ooh, I'll pull the string of inflammation. The endometriosis puppet's blob arm goes up. The endometri- <laughs> <laughs> and then it squelches back down. <laughs> it like punches itself in the face. <laughs> then it like, the leg kicks up, kicks itself in the face. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like life. <laughs> or really, it kicks us in the face. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Ooh, and I just want to point out that we linked that article in the show notes that Brittany just read from. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Like, the more you learn about the way endometriosis acts, you're just like... <gasps> the more annoying it is, but more fascinating. <laughs> the more horrified you are. You're just like, I am so horrified at, like, what you do in my body. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. I respect you and I'm horrified. (laughs) I respect you and hate you. (laughs) And I want to run away crying. (laughs) I saw Dr. Redwine put up a picture of an endometriosis rectal nodule. Ooh, maybe like the one I still have in my rectum. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) It was not my rectal nodule, but. But it could be a doppelganger. <laughs> Perhaps in the future, my maybe rectal, my rectal Aww, nodule. Maybe could your rectal be... nodule be plastered up by Dr. David Redwine. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Like, yeah, yeah. And you can actually like name drop me. Like, this is Amy from a 16 years <laughs> rectal nodule. And everyone can just ooh. Can and you ah. imagine the fangirling if Dr. David Redwine looked at your oh rectal nodule? I think I would just faint. I'd be like, did he use my name in the same sentence as rectal endometriosis nodule? Wow. <laughs> Little fangirling, yeah. <laughs> Some people want to meet celebrities or actors. I just want to meet Dr. David Redwine. (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Renowned excision surgeon. (laughs) So anyway, the picture that he put up of this large endonodule, what it was in actuality was there was only a tiny bit of endometriosis in the middle of this fibromuscular metaplasia. So basically, 
there was a this large nodule, but it had this tiny bit of endo, and the nodule was rather large due to the surrounding tissue had become fibrotic, so this fibromuscular metaplasia. So this is when the normal tissue around the endo is replaced by fibrous connective tissue, so kind of like scar tissue. And it's fibromuscular metaplasia, so it's the fibrous tissue as well as crude muscle-like fibers. But basically, he put up this example to show how, at times, the physical growth of a lesion associated with endometriosis doesn't have to be due necessarily to the proliferation of the endometriosis itself. So in this specific case of this picture, the area the endometriosis was affecting was getting bigger, even though the endometriosis glands and stroma themselves weren't. Does that make sense? Interesting. So the nodule was like rather large, but there was only this tiny bit of endometriosis in the middle of this like fibrotic nodule mass thing. It needed a lot of protection, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It felt vulnerable. (laughs) Jeez, I wish I could walk around in a a giant fibrotic nodule. (laughs) But yeah, what is it called? The a fibromuscular metaplasia. (laughs) You come near me like keep your distance. This is my fibromuscular metaplasic bubble. (laughs) Love that. Thank you. (laughs) As we were doing research for this episode on endometriosis and estrogen and their relationship, a lot of information came up on endometriosis, estrogen, and retrograde menstruation. So we want to take a couple of minutes to talk about these different findings because they were coming up a lot in relationship with estrogen and endometriosis, and we think it's important to discuss the different findings that a person could come across if they were looking up information on estrogen and endometriosis. Now, most of you listening know this, but just in case, I'm going to take a moment to explain retrograde menstruation because it's always good for a refresh. Yeah, Brittany, refresh my mind. (laughs) So retrograde menstruation is the idea that period blood flows backwards out of the tubes and into the pelvic cavity. Oh. This endometrial tissue implants itself there and grows as endometriosis. So horrifying. Well, this theory has many flaws in it. How many? Many. (laughs) Many flaws. (laughs) And there's a lot of evidence actually against it. How much? A lot. Okay. Much. And because of that, it is hard to imagine that it could ever be proven true because of the longstanding inability to prove it true and all of the mounting evidence and information that says that it's not accurate. It's been over 100 years. They still haven't proven it. So, you know, <laughs> we did a whole episode on this, uh, number 15. Yes, we did. So please go and check. And we also talked about David Revan a lot in that episode. I think we talked about David Revan a lot, period. <laughs> Dr. David Redwine, we're obsessed with you. (laughs) Thank you for being you, Dr. Redwine. So although it's never been proven true, many research articles talk about how it's the most widely accepted cause for the development of endometriosis in the pelvis. And so they base their research around this assumption, which shouldn't be made, about endo, that it's implanted there via retrograde menstruation. And again, just because something is widely accepted doesn't mean it's right. It's not been proven, and there's a lot of evidence in contrary to it. The thing is, a lot of the research articles that you see on endometriosis, they either think that endometriosis is the actual endometrium growing in the wrong spot. Wrong. (laughs) 
And the article will be really confusing because the whole time it will refer to endometriosis as the endometrium, but it will use like the word, the ectopic endometrium, like the uterine lining in the wrong spot. And then it will refer to the actual uterine lining as the utopic endometrium. So as you're reading, you're like, it's not even the same thing. It's like, <laughs> like you're already wrong from the start. Why are you making this harder for yourself? Ectopic endometrium because it's not endometrium in the wrong spot because it's not even endometrium in the first place. So we'll get into that <laughs> next, next week. week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> but basically, a lot of these research articles, they either think endo is the actual endometrium or they think endo is a transformed version of the endometrium. So as in, like, okay, yes, now it's endometriosis, and we recognize that it's endometriosis, but it began as little bits of the uterine lining implanted during retrograde menstruation. So, so you're, it, it began as the endometrium, but now it's not the Do you see what I mean? So you're saying <laughs> it's Transformers endometrium in disguise. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 90s kids will know. <laughs> In these articles where they talk about retrograde menstruation, they often talk about how, okay, so we have the bits of endometrium flowing backwards, flowing out of the tubes, and then, you know, wandering around the pelvic cavity. Lost, lost baby. Lonely. Lost bits of endometrium. So what do they do? They're like, oh, I'm scared. So then they just attach wherever they land. They're like, you know, I was told if I ever get lost, I should stop moving and I should just sit down where I am and someone will come find me. So that's (laughs) what they do. They just stop moving and they just, these bits supposedly, with this theory, these bits of endometrium just attach themselves to the peritoneum, like in the pelvic cavity. And then what do they do after these endometrial bits attach themselves? They grow. This theory definitely sounds like it was made 100 years ago. You know, like before we had science to explain things, when we would just say, well, I wonder why that happens. You know what? I think that it just gushes out of the tubes and it just just goes where it wants and it implants where it lands. Do we have any basis for this? Has anything proven this? No, but we're going to continue to believe it. Like this sound, it sounds fake, but okay. (laughs) Okay, I do want to say that. So I like to read the research articles. So I've been reading a lot for these episodes on estrogen and the upcoming ones on endometriosis, how it's not the endometrium. And so a lot of these research articles, as I said, they like believe in retrograde menstruation. They're trying to prove retrograde menstruation. They're trying to figure out like how the heck do these endometrial bits, you know, implant and grow and transform. And so they're looking into with science, like how does endometriosis work and stuff. And I will tell you, like, If you didn't know a lot about the theory, like if you hadn't learned about the different holes in the theory or how endometriosis can be in people who don't menstruate and has been found in fetuses or has been found in biological males or has been found in the lung and the brain and different parts of the body where menstruation doesn't happen. If you like didn't know all of that, it could be a really seductive theory. You know, like I can see how it I can like as I read sometimes I'm like, oh, my God. ooh. Could this be true? And I'm like, no. But (laughs) all other evidence says no. And this evidence still doesn't even say yes. It just says these are possible maybes. Ironically, we're helping to disprove what we think we're proving. (laughs) So many of these articles that are talking about what endometriosis does in the body and the role of estradiol, so the role of estrogen, they talk about how estradiol is essential in this process for the endometrial tissue to attach those lost tissues staying put, attaching to the peritoneum, waiting to be found by their parents. 
and then attaching and growing on the peritoneum. So since we don't actually know the mechanisms for how the endometrium supposedly attaches and grows via retrograde menstruation, and we probably will never know since it's not true. (laughs) So a lot of research has been done in this area on animals, on mice and rats. But the thing is that the animal model has limitations. Sorry to talk about this, but I think it is important because there's a lot of research coming in on endometriosis that is from the animal model. And then the findings are being said to be suggesting like, oh, these findings from the animal model are suggestive of XYZ in the human endometriosis case. But the thing is, when they use studies of mice and rats, um, they actually, so they actually give endometriosis to the mice and the rats because the mice and the rats, they don't have endometriosis occurring naturally. So what they do is they, (laughs) it's like, it's really terrible. So what they do is they sew in a piece of the endometrium to the peritoneum of the mice or the rat, or they inject endometrium bits into the peritoneum. This makes me want to. Cry. I know, and I'm so sorry, but I do think it's it, valid to talk I, about. I think but it animal is testing Im- is horrible. Yeah, I, but I think it is important. So, um, but basically, the point. <laughs> I know I feel so yucky now. I'm so sorry, but the the point is that you know these animals are being given endometriosis, so then they're attaching the endometrium, and then the endometrium it attaches and it grows. And so that's kind of pretty similar to how endometriosis would work if endometriosis was from retrograde menstruation in humans, right? Because we said the endometrial bits, they'd come out backwards from the uterus, they'd float around, and then they would land like little snowflakes. They would land where they fell and then attach and grow. But it's highly improbable that that's how endo is caused in humans. So then if we have these animal studies that are coming out that are, you know, saying, oh, well, we've seen in the animal model that endometriosis attaches and grows and it's all thanks to estrogen. Like research is being made in animal models that's then being suggested to the human model. It's like they have A and C but are just assuming B. Like (laughs) A is here's the endometriosis. C is that it attaches and grows. B is how? Question mark. You're just assuming. So I guess our point of all of that, not to um, talk about the animals. So no, I'm just going to think about I, the baby mouse so and I rats am, all day. I know. And I, so I am really sorry. But I think it is important to know this because it's really tricky at times to read research on endometriosis. It can be tricky, especially like research on how endometriosis attaches or research on estrogen because, for example, mice are not people. And so there's limitations in these studies. Endo is not the endometrium. And endometriosis is not caused by retrograde menstruation. So there's all of these limitations and assumptions that are made in various research. So endolesions, as we know today, do not grow all over the pelvis after a backwards-flowing blood deposits bits of endometrium in the pelvis. But we do know that endolesions, quote-unquote, grow by becoming actively inflamed and irritating the tissues around them. By irritating the tissue, for example, they can cause nearby capillaries to break and bleed. That can lead to more inflammation, 
and the formation of scar tissues and adhesions. Endo can also become more fibrotic and deeper over time and invade into the surrounding tissues. Inflammation plays a huge role in endo. No one's surprised. How big? <laughs> huge. How huge? <laughs> Hugiest huge role. <laughs> that huge is huge. <laughs> and estrogen can drive inflammation. Of course it can. <laughs> of course. No one's surprised there. And what else can it drive? Pain. Estrogen is important to endo, but estrogen isn't the only hormone that endo responds to. Estrogen is just one of the many fuels to the endo fire. Ooh, the raging, burning endo fire. <laughs> exactly. It's like, ooh, give me estrogen, give me progesterone, give me prostaglandins, give me aromatase enzymes. Any fuel source, it gobbles it right <laughs> up. It's got the wood, the coal, the kerosene, the oil, the lighter fluid. It's got all of it. It's happy. <laughs> that endo flame. So there's many research articles that state that endo's classified as a, quote, estrogen-dependent disease. The words estrogen-dependent can also be misleading because it can sound like endo depends on estrogen. That's kind of what it says, estrogen-dependent. Well, and estrogen is very important with endometriosis. But not the only important. So if we remove or lower estrogen in the body or stop estrogen, then endo should just, poof, disappear like magic. Goodbye, I'm gone. But no we, more estrogen. No more endo. I've dried up. Unfortunately, as we know, not <laughs> the case. <laughs> we know it's not the case because people in low estrogen states, either from natural menopause or medical menopause via GnRH drugs, can still have disease progression, disease pain, and the lesions don't dry up and disappear. Yeah, so like endo being classified as an estrogen-dependent disease, although estrogen, of course, is so important in the pathological process of endometriosis, which we just explained all about, like, it just makes it sound like, well, you need estrogen. If you don't have estrogen, the endo will just go away. And that's not That's true. why it's misleading. And so I just feel like some of these terms and words that we have around endometriosis, like growth or estrogen-dependent, they can give these connotations and ideas of what endometriosis can do or needs or doesn't need that, like, really, we just had to have a whole 10-minute conversation about all these different aspects. So I guess, basically, this is a really, really, really long way of saying that endometriosis and estrogen's relationship is complicated. It sounds like they need to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of resentment there. There's a lot of bitterness in their relationship. Fueling violence. <laughs> <laughs> they have fights where they like throw plates and glasses and bits of endometrium at each other. <laughs> They're like, hmm, who's going to take out the garbage today? Well, I did it last week, endometriosis. Like, well, okay, well then. <laughs> the garbage is the blah. <laughs> <laughs> They're arguing over who's going to pick up the kids at school. Who are the kids? I need to know. <laughs> Uh, maybe the prostaglandins, okay. those little pain and inflammation causing brats. <laughs> <laughs> this relationship is toxic and they need to work on themselves because yeah. toxic relationships are no joke. Endo and estrogen, please get it together. <laughs> so it's just it's not so black and white or so simple, I think, to when talking about estrogen and endometriosis. Sometimes it just becomes really simplified and really black and white. 
But the thing is that endometriosis is not just, you know, bits of endometrium entering the pelvic cavity from backwards menstruation and dependent on estrogen. And if it doesn't have estrogen, then the endometriosis will just shrivel up and dry up and disappear and die. I mean, that would be awesome. That would be like so great if it was just so simple, like, oh, it's the endometrium and it needs estrogen to grow and it depends on estrogen. If it doesn't have that, then it will just dry up and go away. But that's not the reality. So hopefully we've clarified like a little bit, (laughs) even though it's pretty confusing, but and there's a lot of tangential pieces going there. But we've linked all of these articles, all the sources in the show notes. So if you just want to go further down the path of their toxic, complicated, relationship, then please go to our website in 16years.com and take a look at the resources. So estrogen can make endo more symptomatic. But I'll just quickly say, because we will talk about this later on, that how endometriosis lesions respond to estrogen isn't predictable because endo isn't the endometrium. Oh, thank God. I mean, thank God it's not predictable, but then it could... (laughs) Not thank God. It's I don't not know. predictable. I don't know. Is unpredictable, good or bad? No, it's not good. It could go in my favor. It could not go in my favor. Oh, Generally God. doesn't go in our I favor. I want certainty. I'm getting anxiety. And just to clarify, we know this, but endometrium is the uterine lining and endo is not that. We can never say it enough. It is not Endometriosis that. is not the endometrium. It endometriosis is not. is not the uterine lining. So the way that our endo responds to estrogen or any hormone is very individual because the hormone receptors of endo in the endo is not uniform. So for many of us, we have seen in our own bodies that endometriosis may be aggravated by estrogen because for many of us, our symptoms began or upticked with the onset of good old puberty. Oh, what a fun time. Ah, you know, when you're young and you're carefree and you're living the life, or hopefully, and then suddenly you look down and you're growing these weird mounds out of your (laughs) chest and hair. hair. (laughs) What is that? A hair. And your body's changing and it's uncomfortable and it's weird. And then the pain endometriosis pain might start or the endometriosis diarrhea might start the endometriosis bloating might start or the endometriosis brain fog might start or the endometriosis chronic pain might start the endometriosis fatigue might start (laughs) the list is way too long and so i think many of us we have seen that in our own bodies with an increase in estrogen endometriosis got upset and started to go wild Ah, i'm scared (laughs) As you should be, Brittany. More evidence that we see where estrogen may cause endometriosis to become aggravated is we have seen estrogen's effect in biological males, although this is very rare. So there's about 20 cases of biological males with endometriosis in medical literature. And within these 20 cases, an elevated circulating estrogen is suggested as the stimulating factor in most of these cases. So what does that all mean? Listen carefully, Brittany. I'm trying. you got to speak like normal language. Okay. Not science language. There's about 20 cases of biological males with endometriosis in medical literature. So the estrogen was elevated in most of these cases, either by one of the following. 
undergoing estrogen therapy for prostate cancer. And so that raised the levels of estrogen in their body. Or from obesity, or from cirrhosis of the liver. And so both obesity and cirrhosis of the liver can potentially elevate estrogen levels in the body. So we want to point out a couple of things. First of all, estrogen may cause endometriosis to become aggravated, but it doesn't mean that it will. So it may, but it won't always. And we're going to talk about why that is soon. So oh, stay a sneak tuned. peek. Ooh. So it's a cliffhanger. And by aggravated, I mean causing symptoms or an uptick in symptoms due to the processes we talked about earlier on estrogen and how it can stimulate inflammation and prostaglandins and all the good stuff. Okay, so I just have a question, a thought. So with these biological males, were they born with endometriosis? Or maybe it's estrogen. Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good question. So the general consensus is that the endometriosis was already there because As we've talked about in the episode that we did on the causes of endometriosis, evidence is mounting. Evidence is mounting as high as Mount Everest. If you want to see all of the evidence, you have to put on your full shank, insulated, waterproof, mountaineering boots with the crampons in the front with the pickaxe. And you have to put it in and hike your way up and you have to use the ropes. And you need a guide. And you need all these really insulated, expensive tents that can people. How how many mountains have you climbed? This is so oddly specific. How many times have you been up Everest? In my dream? <laughs> in your real life. After I watched the movie Into Thin Air. Oh. But then how do you know what kind of special... Bo- I'm just, like, blown away by your full shank mountaineering boots with an ice pick. I mean, whoa. <laughs> so evidence is mounting that we are most likely born with endometriosis. And that endometriosis is due to a developmental birth defect in the formation of our malarian duct. If all of that sounds confusing and like, oh my gosh, what are they talking about? Then we recommend you go back and listen to our episode on what causes endometriosis. And we explain it in full, in detail. But give me a quick summary because I forgot what we talked about in that episode. Okay, Brittany, for you, the quick version is that before an embryo is eight weeks old. Oh, little baby embryo. With endo. (laughs) Endobrio? (laughs) (laughs) It lays down the beginnings of the cells for both reproductive tracts. So the reproductive tracts of the biological male and the biological female body. And then as the embryo develops in accordance to whether the embryo has XX or XY chromosomes, then either the male reproductive system, so the XY reproductive system continues to develop, and that's called the Wolfian duct, and in that case, the female reproductive system which is called the malarian duct, that disappears, or vice versa. So some of the cells from the other reproductive system that were supposed to disappear, instead of totally disappearing, they can actually be left behind, just some of them. But they're inactive. So in the majority of these 20 biological males with endometriosis, The endometriosis lesions occurred along the path of these inactive, left-behind embryonic cell rests. So they occurred on the path of this left-behind malarian duct cells. And then it appears they were stimulated by elevated estrogen levels. 
Okay, so in an effort to understand what all of this means, I'm going to illustrate a scenario that I just thought of in my head. And you're going to tell me if I'm right or if I'm way off base. Okay, so picture this. According to the theory of Mulleriosis, the endocells are already in our bodies, just like an endometriosis dragon sleeping in the mountain on his hoard. He's already there. He's been there for all time. But he's a cute little dragon. Oh, and he's, he's so cute. cute. And he's got purple scales. Oh, I love and he purple. has rose gold horns. Wow. He's got gemstones embedded in his skin because he's just very fancy and he likes to go all out. And naturally, his claws are beautifully manicured. A little nail polish never hurt anyone. So he's very cute and he's got big eyes and he looks a little cuddly, but he's very sparkly and shiny. Can I get a dragon like this? Can I, can I have somebody make that for wow. me? So you're taking a hike, imagine, and you come across this little, beautiful, sparkly, shiny, beautiful dragon. You go, oh, look at the baby dragon. He's so cute. I'm going to go over to the baby dragon. He looks so harmless. He's just sitting there all docile and calm. And oh, he looks so sweet. I'm going to go pet him. And Oh, he's adorable. I want a selfie baby. with him. Oh, you're going to take a selfie yeah. with the dragon. Go ahead. Go for it. So you're going to pet the dragon with your hand, and then he seems fine with it, so you move a little closer, and then he seems so docile and calm. You're like, okay, this is okay. I'm going to pet the little baby dragon on his scales. And then you move your other hand to pet the purring baby dragon. Oh, he's so adorable. Oh, my God. He's so cute. He's so cute. We have to make him like a cat for you. Oh, this dragon. I love him. It's just so cute. And everything's perfect. The day is sunny. Oh. And the mountain is so it Smells crisp. like lavender. And the air outside, the Beautiful. breeze. Wow, I feel so revitalized. I'm so relaxed. Ooh. Well, when you moved your hand in front of that little dragon, he saw something. Ooh, what did he see? He saw a little gold ring on your finger. Oh, that old thing? Oh, yeah, from my grandma. The sun was glinting off of it. Oh, yeah. It looks shiny sometimes. It looks very shiny. How shiny. You know what dragons like most of all? The color purple? Shiny things. (gasps) What does that mean? So that dragon, those little endocells already living there. The endo dragon. See the gold, the estrogen, (gasps) if you will. The gestrogen? The The gold estrogen. (laughs) (laughs) The estrogold? The estrogold. (laughs) So the little endocell dragon sees the estrogen gold on your finger. (gasps) And he can't help himself. Oh, no. He can't resist. (gasps) He bears his teeth. (laughs) He rears up (laughs) and (laughs) bites your finger off. My finger, it hurts so badly. Ouchie. Now you've got blood squirting out of your finger and he takes the ring and brings it back to his hoard. Your gold awoke the dragon. Now I get it. Was that accurate? (laughs) Did Did that work? Was that metaphor good? Oh, maybe. Should I write children's stories? <laughs> I think you should write a children's book about endometriosis. <laughs> and once upon a time, there was a dragon sleeping upon a hill. His name was Endodragoniosis. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and if there's one thing Endodragoniosis liked, he liked gold. Dr- oh, gold, shiny thing. Estragold. Yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> From now forward, estrogen in this episode will be referred to as Estragold. <laughs> Like, why do they keep talking about a hormone estrogold? What is estrogold? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) Ah, so I see your analogy, your metaphor here. 
thank you. Oh my gosh, she compliments me. So what you're saying is that the estrogen most likely stimulated the endo that was already there, mm-hmm. causing pain and symptoms and inflammation, causing the endometriosis to be noticed. Just like in your story, the gold stimulated the dragon that was already there. Yes, the gold didn't call the dragon, didn't cause the dragon to show up. The dragon was already there when the gold came to him. The estragold didn't magically make the dragon. Correct. The dragon already existed. Mm-hmm. Or should we say the dragons? <laughs> Ooh. Because the endometriosis lesions are each... Are many dragons. Their own dragon. <laughs> their own lesion, claws and fire. Each lesion is its own dragon. Now, of those biological males with endo, what about the few cases that didn't have those two factors of estrogen and embryonic cell rests? Well, a few are deemed unexplained. Ugh, of course, with endometriosis, <laughs> something's unexplained. And then a few are suggested to be from metaplasia, which is when one specialized cell changes into another specialized cell. Oh, a specially trained cell gets a new job, a career change <laughs> into another highly specialized cell Guess in a different it. field. <laughs> so there's debate in general about what triggers endometriosis to become apparent in a person. Any person, I mean, biological sex aside. And so while hormones can affect endometriosis, there's also evidence that stem cells, genetics, or even endocrine disruptors in the environment might play a role. And as we know, there are three types of endometriosis, and that's superficial, deep infiltrating, and endometriomas. And some researchers believe that these may not all have the same cause. I think the important takeaway of all we just talked about. So much that we just talked about. It's like go down every rabbit hole. Yes. Now we have to figure out what to pack in the limited suitcase that we have, which is our brain. So I think the important takeaway of all of that is that the estragold can stimulate the endodragon. All right. Now on to fact number two. Although some websites say that estrogen dominance or high estrogen causes endometriosis, the fact is that this has never been shown to be a cause of endometriosis. I mean, remember all that we just talked about? That scientists still don't know the cause of endometriosis. So are we born with it? Is it a combination of genetic stem cells, endocrine disruptors, and other things? But yet, as complicated as the cause of endometriosis is proving to be, some websites just state that estrogen dominance causes endometriosis, but there's no proof of that. And once more, like so many things with endometriosis, we're seeing that a lot of assumptions are being made with that statement about endometriosis being, you guessed it, the endometrium? <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like oh, my estrogen is high and now I have heavy bleeding and I have swollen boobs and suddenly I have endometriosis. Sure, if my estrogen is high, I might see an uptick in my endometriosis symptoms, or I might not. We've just discussed in long depth (laughs) the role that estrogen plays in endometriosis, and it's a huge role, and especially in the symptoms. But just because we have high estrogen doesn't mean that we're going to suddenly get endometriosis. And not everyone who has endometriosis has high estrogen or has estrogen dominance, which is another misconception. 
that we're all walking around with an imbalance of estrogen and this high estrogen. And some of us might be, but many of us are not. So when you say estrogen dominance, does that mean that instead of wearing one estragold ring, you're wearing 20 estragold rings? On each finger. 20 on each finger. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I meant. Your hand is so heavy from all the gold <laughs> rings that you actually have to, you have to prop it up. You actually have to wheel your hand around. The your way. new accessory is a gold <laughs> wheelbarrow to wheel around your gold-laden hand with. It's a lot of estragold. So all that estragold, is that what estrogen dominance is? Estrogen dominance doesn't mean, first of all, that you're wearing a bunch of gold rings, but that would be really Aww. cool. But second, it also, many people, when they think of estrogen dominance, they think that you have really high estrogen so that you have really high estrogen in your own body or you have estrogen that is higher than the normal range. So that might be the case that your estrogen is higher than normal or estrogen dominance can refer to the ratio of the values of your estrogen and your progesterone. Estrogen dominance is not an official medical diagnosis. And I've seen it defined both ways. Oh, okay. This is making more sense now. So imagine that progesterone was all the silver rings. (gasps) Ooh, flashy. On the other hand, normally you'd have a balance of silver and gold rings. With estrogen dominance, you have more estrogen than progesterone. So the estrogen is dominating in the body. You have all the gold. And not enough silver. I see. So it's not only gold. It's just more gold compared to silver. So one way to find out if you have estrogen dominance is to get your hormones assessed. And oftentimes they're assessed on day 21 if you have a cycle that's around 28 days. So normally that estrogen and the progesterone levels are assessed about a week after ovulation because that's when progesterone would be at its peak. So with hormone testing, you can know your levels of estrogen in general to see if it's too high or the ratio of estrogen to progesterone. Helpful. Having high estrogen or estrogen dominance can exacerbate the symptoms of endo because, as we already explained, some endo dragons love the estragold. Love. And they get all painful and angry and inflamed when they see it. Inflamed. Painful. This beautiful musical accompaniment. Thank you. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that estrogen dominance causes endo. No, no, no. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, and another thing is that not everyone with endometriosis has estrogen dominance or has high estrogen because there's these common myths that everyone who has endometriosis is estrogen dominant. And that is just not true. Myths dispelled. So actually, I'm one of those people who has low estrogen. Shocking. Well, not like menopausal level low or anything like that. Just lower than the range that I should be in. So I have no gold rings on my finger. That's sad. Do you even have any toe rings? None of them. Oh. I know. Any belly button rings? Nope. Hidden nipple rings? Nope. Nose rings? Eyebrow rings? Cheek rings? Lip rings? Tongue rings? Ear rings? Nope. You're just totally ringless? Then uh, what, what did the dragon like about you? I can't see anything worth the dragon liking about you. The gold butt plug, maybe? Ah, uh, okay, the gold butt plug. You know, an average accessory for walking around dragons. Okay. On hikes, you know, just be sure to bring your butt plug on your hike. <laughs> well, Brittany, if you had as many accidents from diarrhea as I had in college, then you might have also invested in a gold butt plug. All right, you're fair. You got me there. Thank you. 
I don't waste my time with no toe rings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't useful need no, items I don't here. Need beauty accessories. Okay. <laughs> this is a necessary device. <laughs> Talking about important medical devices in my body. That's it. <laughs> so, how did you know that your estrogen levels were low? Because you told me. No, no. Oh. Because the doctor wow. told me. <laughs> I just touched your skin and went, I'm scanning and estrogen is low. That would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> if I were a hormone scanner. <laughs> Well, before I knew Brittany, the Brittany estrogen hormone scanner, (laughs) I actually did a few hormone tests in my 20s that showed that my estrogen levels were low. I think your case is actually a really good example. Thank you. Oh, sorry. I didn't even know what the example was. I just heard the praise good good example. example. You can repeat your sentence. I think your case is a good example. Example. What about why not a great example? Is a good example. Why not an excellent example? (laughs) Is a good example. Phenomenal example. (laughs) I'm going to be here for 10 years with all your synonyms in your brain. I think your case is a good example. Okay. A good example (laughs) of how estrogen can be a factor to endopain and inflammation, but not the only factor. And having low estrogen doesn't mean that you won't have pain, severe pain, or symptoms, severe symptoms. Ooh, I love being an example. I know you do. My estragold ringless hands, they feel so important. <laughs> well, your gold butt plug filled anus should feel important. Don't talk about my anus. <laughs> we talk about your anus constantly. What do you mean don't talk about your I anus? I know. It's a phenomenal example. <laughs> Thank you. Many people with endometriosis have normal hormone levels or even low hormone levels. And, you know, if you're wondering about your levels, then you can get them tested and actually confirm what your hormone levels are. I think a good way to think of estrogen dominance is as we explained with the biological males and the dragon and the gold. So the endodragon is already there in the body. The estrogen gold doesn't make the dragon appear. It just wakes up this cute little sleeping little cutie little dragon. He's not cute after he's awake, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, God, no, he's not. <laughs> like, you were better when you were sleeping. Or maybe he was already awake, but now it's like you've given him a bunch of coffee or a Red Bull or coffee and Red Bull together. He oh, goes sorry. from house cat to saber-toothed tiger. That's what he does. <laughs> so the endometriosis is already there in the body. And what the estrogen dominance could do is it could aggravate the endometriosis that's already there, and it could increase the symptoms. And so I could see that if the endometriosis was quiet and sleeping like a cute little dragon, and so you didn't realize it was there, and then the estrogen came along and awoke the dragon, it could appear that the estrogen caused the dragon to manifest or caused the dragon to show up. Or to magically appear. But the little baby dragon was already there. He was already there. there from the beginning of time. That's his home. Oh, little baby. All right, now we're on to fact number three. Some endometriosis lesions have estrogen receptors in the lesions. <gasps> Whoa. Not all lesions have the same receptors. So, for example, some lesions could have estrogen only, some could have progesterone only, and some could have both. Greedy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to collect all the metals. It's a variety. So, because of this, 
how we react to estrogen is individual among people with endometriosis. We don't all react the same way with estrogen. The lesion's responsiveness, like how the lesion responds to estrogen, depends on the balance of the estrogen receptor expression, the distribution, the estrogen receptor protein function. Okay, so basically what that means is that it depends on the level and the activity of the estrogen receptors in the lesions if the lesions have estrogen receptors. The level and the activity okay, okay. of the estrogen receptors. And want to hear something really interesting? Absolutely. Okay. The way that our endometriosis reacts can be different among the lesions within our body. Whoa. So, not all of our lesions, like, for example, I have endometriosis. That doesn't mean that all of my lesions have estrogen receptors and that maybe all of Brittany's endometriosis has progesterone receptors. Oh. I can have lesions with an estrogen receptors and lesions with progesterone receptors and lesions with both. And Brittany can have lesions with estrogen and progesterone and with both. So it's that variety pack. So it's like a box of chocolates, except they're all poison and you never really know what they're going to do to your body. <laughs> Is that what I'm getting here? <laughs> exactly. Except without the poison, without the sorted chocolates and without, well, the poison, I'll go with that. But without the, <laughs> without the chocolate. But that might be why a person can have endometriosis lesions in their body that are superficial and then have endometriosis lesions in their same body that are invasive. So that could be a reason why. That's also probably why we respond differently to hormone therapies, and some of us get symptom relief, which is wonderful, and some of us don't, which of course is very disappointing. And in a few episodes, we're going to do an entire episode on the hormone receptors of endometriosis, and it's going to be really exciting. Fact number four is that endometriosis can make its own localized estrogen. I'm sorry, what? endometriosis can make its own localized estrogen. So you're telling me those dragons are just sitting there like, oh, you know what I love the most is getting angry when I see gold. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make more gold to make me angry. Who would do that? <laughs> what is wrong with them? Well, they're in the mountains. They have a gold-making factory, Brittany. I don't know. They're <sighs> bored. I don't know. Go interview them. Ask them. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> there are people in this world who just want to sustain their anger. Oh, that's so sad. Now I feel bad. And they use anger to feed into more anger, and that's what these dragons do. Oh, I'm so sorry, Indo dragons. Yeah, they just, just need some love and to be excised. Exactly. Nobody wants you there. <laughs> <laughs> excise you just from the mountain. Touch Come you on. Out and then tread you. Yeah, we're going to just bulldoze your mountain, and then we're going <laughs> to dig it up at its root, and we're going to throw it away. <laughs> okay, I'm appalled, but also fascinated. So tell me more about this. Self-making estrogen gold factory that endometriosis apparently has. Well, Brittany, many endometriosis lesions contain the aromatase enzyme. Is it like one of those super special aromas that smells different for every person sniffing it? Kind of like a magic aroma? We've talked a lot about magic in this episode. Magic aromas, dragons. It's very fantastical. I feel like we should all go watch Lord of the Rings or oh, yes. The Hobbits. Or Harry Potter. Ooh. Well, Brittany, not to dash your hopes and dreams, no. but although it's called aromatase, I'm pretty sure there's no smell associated with it. It's an enzyme that can convert androstenedione in the body to estrogen. However, 
Upon reading about it in the medieval, I mean the medical literature, she went there. I did not come across any references to the lovely aroma that this enzyme releases. No aroma. None to be found. Smells like lavender. (laughs) So you see, Brittany, it's kind of like a magic trick. Now you have a handkerchief and Mm -hmm. you put it in the hat and now you pulled out a bunny rabbit. Oh, I like bunnies. Now the dragons have androstenedium and they put it in the hat. And now they pulled out a bunny rabbit. I mean, now they put out the gold. I mean, now they pulled out the estrogen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so androstenedione goes in. Estrogen comes out. Yep. Okay. First of all, that's a cruel magic trick. Second of all, what is any of that mean? What are those words? So androstenedione is a steroid hormone that's used in the body to help to make testosterone and estrogen. Androstenedione is an androgen. So see, androstenedione, androgen. Now it makes more sense. So it's one of the hormones like testosterone that is considered a quote-unquote biological male hormone. However, both males and females have androstenedione, just like both males and females have estrogen. Even though estrogen is often considered to be a quote-unquote female hormone because Estrogen is higher in biological females. And testosterone and androstenedione and the androgens are higher in biological males. But actually, males and females need both of these hormones in their body for their health. We're going to explain further about that in our upcoming episode on hormones. So for now, what you need to know is that Even when the estrogen circling around in the body is low, endometriosis, the endodragons, can still make its own estrogen gold. So it will still feed itself. That's just rude. That's the endodragons for you. Making their own gold. The fact that I exist is enough for me to be angry. I want to destroy this body. That's all I care about. I'm going to destroy this body. I'm going to breathe my fire. Ah. Burn it to the ground. It's having a meltdown. It's having a precious metal down. Mm-hmm. All it wants to do is burn, baby, burn. And don't burn, no. <laughs> burn, beautiful. baby, burn. <laughs> the dragon comes out in a flashy, metallic, open neck. Oh, deep V? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big old chain with a medallion, some bell bottoms. Wearing the white flare jeans. Oh, yeah. Some, some wedge heels. Huge platform <laughs> yeah. shoes with the goldfish on oh, them. Oh, naturally. Austin Power style. <laughs> oh, it's all, I can see it now. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. Doing a little bit of Barry Gibb disco. I love this. <laughs> and so that's why aromatase inhibitors have been trialed as an endometriosis treatment to try to block the aromatase from converting androstenedione into estrogen. Why does the endometriosis get that magic trick? Like, why can't we all have that magic trick? Why can't I just make money appear at my fingertips or my favorite snack? You have a penny, it turns into $100. You have a dime, it turns into $1,000. I would love that. Why does endometriosis get to have all the fun? It gets to hug all the fun things. Endometriosis gets the Cause the fires, endometriosis gets to have the swords. Oh, wait, it's getting really violent. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, endometriosis, have your fun. I don't. 
I don't want it. I'm fine. I'm <laughs> I don't fine. want any of that. <laughs> I don't need that. So since endometriosis is producing estrogen, where does it go? Does it actually like go into our bloodstream and circulate around our bodies? Or what is it doing after it's created? Brittany, Brittany, clearly you don't know these dragons very well. Do you really think that the dragon is going to make all this gold and then it's going to wander down to the village and it's going to go, I have gold for you. Gold, come get all the gold you want. And it's going to invite people to come share its gold. Or do you think it's going to hoard its gold right next to itself and be like, this gold is going to be with me at all times? That's selfish. Sounds like a billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, Many of them, yes. But... Yeah, so the estrogen that the endometriosis produces doesn't seem to end up in the blood serum level, and so it stays local to the endometriosis lesions. Fascinating. So endometriosis dragons are like hoarders. It kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'm going to go for another analogy here, but Lord of the Rings has a ring, so I'm kind of on par with the dragon in the ring in the analogy. There's no dragon in Lord of the Rings. That's in The Hobbit. Oh, okay. Okay, whatever. The ring is also in The Hobbit, so. It reminds me of The Hobbit. Excuse you. It reminds me of the dragon hobbit and Smeagol. And so the dragon is Smeagol and the dragon is looking at its ring, the estrogen, and it's like, my precious, my precious (laughs) estrogen. I shall never part with you. She's mixing so many storylines, but like, I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) You'll stay by my side forever. Gollum, Gollum. (laughs) Precious estrogen. This tracks. Makes sense. (laughs) And since endometriosis can make its own estrogen, this is another reason why we can still have symptoms of endometriosis and our endometriosis can still progress. Even when our circulating estrogen from our ovaries, from our body that our body is making, even when that is low because we go on Lupron or Elissa or Solidex or something that puts us in medical menopause, the endometriosis can still make its own estrogen my precious what an underhanded move endometriosis underhanded okay fact number five which should come as no surprise to any of us considering all that we've just talked about and also it's a very common myth but we just included it in here since we're talking about estrogen and endometriosis is that menopause does not cure endometriosis Because as we know, there is no cure for endometriosis and you will have your endometriosis forever unless you get it removed from your body at the root via excision. Fact. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the endometriosis that I still have in my rectum after having excision and the excision surgeon intentionally left endometriosis in my rectum because he deemed a bowel resection too risky at the time for the benefits. And so although my endometriosis was excised, I still have endometriosis in my rectum that unless I get another excision surgery, which I don't plan on doing anytime soon, I shall be living with for the rest of my life. What a great thing to carry around with you. A small memory of all your beautiful times (laughs) with your endo dragon. And I had the time of my life. So many musical (laughs) moments in this episode. (laughs) I extend my hand to the rectum. Rectum, can I have this dance with you? (laughs) A disco, I assume. <laughs> Unless you're rectal endo disco dragon. That's a mouthful. You're a rectal endo disco dragon. <laughs> it's a complicated dragon. 
but unless he is forcibly evicted from your rectum via excision, he shall be with you forever. So perhaps some of us are like, oh, yay, I can't wait until menopause. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, I feel like that's about to be broken. Shattered wide open. Shot through the heart. Oh, yay, I can't wait until menopause because I'm going to have less estrogen. And so the endometriosis dragon is going to have less estragold. And so the endometriosis dragon is going to calm down. Maybe the dragon's even going to get sleepy and take a nice long nap until we both pass away and stop bothering me. I have a feeling that's, you're going to say that's not possible. That's not going to (sighs) happen. Wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Snap back to reality. Bad news. Bad news. (laughs) So after menopause, we still produce estrogen from our adrenal glands and from our adipose tissues. Adipose are our fat-storing tissues. Thanks, adipose. And we also still produce estrogen from the ovaries, but at a much lesser amount. So even after menopause, we still have levels of estrogen in our body. And so for some people, they still may have pain from endometriosis after menopause. And also remember, as we just learned... The endometriosis can produce its own estrogen, so it could live off of that even if the rest of the estrogen has left the building. Yeah, even if the adipose tissues were all gone. Yes, even if there was none left. Even if the lands were barren No more adrenals and no more fat cells and no more skin and no more pancreas and no more all the places that produce. But just the endo. (laughs) It would still have estrogen. (laughs) So even if our body just like burned and disintegrated, but the endo was still there, then the endometriosis... (laughs) And the endometriosis this has been an extreme example. The aromatase <laughs> enzyme, then it could still produce estrogen. Yes, my extreme example and Amy's extreme example are very different, but I'll go with it. <laughs> Why is the body so obsessed with estrogen? It's like, I love estrogen. It's the best thing in the whole world. I'm going to stock estrogen. I'm going to steal it all. I'm going to hoard it all. Even if you try to take the estrogen away from me, I'm just going to make more. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it until the end of time. Oh, my ovaries. Why? My ovaries aren't producing the estrogen anymore because I've gone through menopause. Well, then my adipose tissues will. And then my... I'm going to find it somewhere. <laughs> it's so greedy. I shall have estrogen in my body. Why can't it just let go of the estrogen? Its obsession is hurting itself. Well, mm, let's lead into the next fact. Fact number six. Let me guess. Estrogen's essential for our health. Oh, Brittany... Good job. I didn't want to be right. <laughs> Usually I love being right, but this time <laughs> this I'm really time I'm pissed really off about, about it. it. <laughs> so here's the thing is that estrogen is, as Brittany said, essential for our health. And having low estrogen for prolonged periods of time can lead to many serious health problems. Let me go ahead and give a quick list of all the things that estrogen does in the body. Estrogen regulates your menstrual cycle. It plumps vaginal tissue and reduces vaginal dryness. It slows bone loss. It can help reduce the incidence of heart attacks. It has an anti-aging factor. It increases sensitivity of progesterone receptors. It affects more than 300 systems of the body. It uplifts mood. It lowers LDL cholesterol. It increases HDL cholesterol. It affects every neurotransmitter in the brain, including serotonin, dopamine, and GABA. It adds moisture to the skin. It affects brain function responsible for memory and motivation, and it is needed for verbal memory and to learn new concepts, reasoning, and fine motor skills. Whew. And now I see why the dragons are hoarding the estrogen. Oh my God. They I can want, keep hoarding it. I want to have plump vaginal tissue. Ooh. 
<laughs> That's the one you picked out of all of them. That was the one you went for. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I'll pick another one. God, Brittany, you pick whatever you want. Only oh, the one you picked. I can't believe it. All right, fine. Well, then I want my estrogen so that I can have the estrogen needed for verbal memory and to learn new concepts like everything we're learning with endometriosis to have reasoning. So when the doctor's like, um, I really think you should try this new medicine, but uh, don't worry, there's no side effects. I can have the reason to be like, um, Lies. excuse me, <laughs> talk to me about the side effects. <laughs> what do you like about the role estrogen plays in your body? I would say my favorite's probably that it plumps vaginal tissue. No, still not that one. I mean, that's nice, but still not that one. I'm sorry. When your vagina is thin or and dry, dry oh, and the painful. skin is ripping, you're going to say, oh my gosh, I, I wish really I had wish plump estrogen vagina. plumped my vagina <laughs> tissue. Okay? <laughs> so don't knock it. Until when I you plump got it, it I don't, you don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't take for granted what you got. Okay? <laughs> I have no issue with dryness, so I'm appreciative for my estrogen. Thank you, estrogen. But my favorite would be the fact that it affects the neurotransmitters in our brain because serotonin and dopamine and GABA, they're all really important for our mental state and mental health. And that's the most interesting and important one for me. So we've learned about the wonderful things that estrogen can do for you. But oh, I, God, it's so lovely. Thank, yeah, you, thank you, estrogen, estrogen, for doing all those things for me. But now I want to talk about the things that could happen if estrogen wasn't hanging around and getting hoarded. <laughs> Don't talk about that. They're not great. Oh, God. You ready? No. Well, you should be. Okay. <laughs> so if you have an estrogen deficiency, you could experience things like hot flashes, fatigue, headaches, migraines, night sweats, vaginal and or bladder infections, incontinence, UTIs, forgetfulness, difficulty falling asleep, poor concentration, decreased verbal skills, irregular bleeding, testosterone imbalance, lower libido, painful intercourse, osteoporosis, episodes of rapid heartbeat, depression, minor anxiety, emotional instability, feelings of despair, crying easily. Just to name a few. You know, just a few. It's awful. <laughs> All hormones, we need you. We love you. We need you. <laughs> Please don't leave us. <laughs> I think the worst for me is the forgetfulness, the difficulty falling asleep, and the forgetfulness. You said forgetfulness twice. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I think must you're be my forgetfulness. forgetfulness. <laughs> for me, the worst ones would probably be the feelings of despair or depression or anxiety. Those aren't so hot. And conversely, the hot flashes, which are too hot, also suck. And fatigue and nausea. Ugh. So I think what we've established here is that estrogen is indeed important in the body. And I think we've also established that having low estrogen can lead to a lot of different symptoms in the body. And that low estrogen is one of the reasons why we could have so many side effects when we take medications that lower estrogen. You know, medications like Lupron or Elisa or Zolidex and why it's not advised to be on these medications for a long period of time. So hopefully this episode can empower you a little more if you just wanted to know what the heck estrogen is doing in our bodies all this time and is doing it to our endometriosis. And of course, you just wanted to meet the cute little sleeping baby dragon, little purple guy with this I don't little... think any of the people listening have <laughs> cute little sleeping baby dragons. <laughs> I mean, we might have some cute little baby sleeping dragons, but we just don't pay attention to them because we're paying attention and trying to put to out the, the fires of all the screaming. The big angry ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. So well, there, there could be cute little baby ones that are being gobbled up by all the angry all flaming true. ones. Stealing all their gold. Well, what I learned was that as much as estrogen sounds like a big mean, angry, problem causer. It's not. It's essential for us, and it's really helped me to appreciate the estrogen in my body rather than just hate it. So now I feel more neutral towards my estrogen. 
Did you love hearing Brittany and I talk about the dragons and share about estrogen? Do you love all of the things that Brittany and I talk about on this podcast? If so, share the podcast. Oh, it's an infomercial. <laughs> share the love on QVC. No, wait, what? <laughs> and if you call in this 1-800 number now and you're the 10th caller, then we'll give you for free one of the gold rings that our endo dragons made. Oh, that's priceless. <laughs> this ring forged in the abdomen of Amy. <laughs> the fires. The fires of Amy's abdomen. If you're struggling with estrogen, don't put the ring on. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> QVC is not responsible for anything that happens as a result of putting a ring on your finger that contains estrogen. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you love our podcast, please share about our podcast. We really hope to have a further reach in this community. We do a lot of work on the podcast to research about all these topics to make funny jokes although the jokes do come quite naturally to Brit and I and we do have really good synergy sometimes we do sit and think really hard about the joke we just wanted to make you laugh you know (laughs) it's important to us education and laughter so if you love our podcast please share about the podcast on social media tell your friends tell your dragons tell your friends dragons (laughs) and then also Don't forget about the goodies on our website. We have all of the resources used in the making of this episode on our website, which is in 16years.com. And there you're going to find all of the resources that we used in all of our episodes. So go ahead, go there, read about everything for yourself, look at the research studies, look at the publications, look at the different websites, empower yourself and learn. And additionally, on our website, we have our support page. And if you feel so inclined, you can buy us a coffee, and that will be a $3 contribution that will go to running this show, the financial costs, and all of the labor that goes into producing these episodes. One of the costs of running the podcast is that Amy and I are going to now have to take a trip over to California to go pan for some gold so that we can keep our endo dragon satisfied. So thank you for contributing to that. Okay, so we are on Instagram. We are at In 16 Years of Endo. And as I mentioned, we're on the website, in16years.com. Reach out to us. Let us know if your endometriosis has the touch of Midas and can turn things into estragold. Shiny. (laughs) All right. Talk to you next time. And also the dragons say, bye.